And we're live. I'm here with Paul Theronite. Paul, how you doing? Oh, sorry, Paul. I was on mute. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's good. It's good. So it's your first time on the show. Go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I'm, um, I'm a Substack writer. I'm not an actual writer. Uh, anyone who's on Substack is not a real writer. Um, I put out articles usually every Saturday when I feel like it. Um, otherwise... I have takes on Twitter. I have a Telegram channel where I uh, I post all sorts of photos from uh, the trips I go on and the places I go and the uh, the general the general beauty you can find in a lot of places. Um, but if if I had to kind of describe myself in one sentence, I am a uh, I am a student of Americana and I seek to understand the nature of America and what it actually is. You know, not what one group of people say, not what another group of people say. And, and, and none of this, I'm like, 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 you know, not just politically, not just socially, not just metaphysically, but just, just in general, just the whole thing. What is, what is America? That's interesting. Yeah. America's fascinating because the, um, I was talking about a friend of mine the other day about it, how like different cultural hotspots, kind of like the South has its own culture, Northern cities kind of have like the little hubs of culture and Vegas doesn't even have a culture that has an aesthetic, you know? So it's very interesting the different hotspots and hubs of culture you get in America. Well, it's funny. It's funny you bring up Vegas. Um, really, all Vegas is, uh, it's, it's, it's only, it's only Vegas's culture because, um, it's only Vegas's culture because that's kind of where the culture, a certain aspect of American culture, I suppose is the right way to say, uh, came to rest after a long migration westward. Um, America has always had a, uh, a really big semblance of, of gambling, of general debauchery. It's like, it's, and you can kind of see this at its, at its foremost in the South, right? In the South and the deep South, particularly, um, America, a buddy of mine, uh, Spader, Calvin Wendell Spader, Spader, you can find him, you can find him in various places. You can find him on Tgram and on Twitter. Um, but he has this concept, which. The United States is the crossover is is has had two dueling strains to it. This sort of like ultra religious um, to the nth degree, ultra um, faithful, prudish kind of like um, a good men build societies and all this other stuff, which kind of finds its champions in the north more than the south. Although they they switch roles every now and again. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have this kind of laissez-faire, sort of lax, um, almost degenerate gambling sensibility um, exemplified in various places across the country. You know, every, you know, after independence, it's exemplified with the Mississippi Riverboat Gamblers. You know, they get on a boat in Memphis, and before they get to New Orleans, they've lost every cent and every slave and every acre of land that they've ever owned on that boat and then gained it all back. <laughs> and they, they'll just do it five or six times. Um, and what a lot of people don't realize, and I don't mean to go off on this tangent this early in go the right show, ahead, go right ahead. but um, what a lot of people don't realize is that what we call the Wild West, the idea of like men in wide hats 
in in the middle of the hot sun with with their duster jackets on and getting into duels and and all this other stuff you know that predates that predates the civil war that even predates the years immediately preceding the civil war that goes all the way back to lord knows i get honestly that goes all the way back to even the founding of jamestown in 1607 because america is a concept at least one of the things i found one of the most certain things america is a concept is um uh is a series of frontiers. It's a series of frontiers. It's a series of um, uh, conquered frontiers leading to a next frontier, leading to a next frontier, right? And we got really good at conquering frontiers. You know, a lot of people, you know, they talk about how the East Coast and the Eastern Seaboard is the most developed part of America. Well, there was a, there was a time, you know, 400 years ago, but there was a time when... You couldn't go from, let's say, Jamestown to New Bern, North Carolina without like four weeks journey and like being attacked by engines five or six times along the way. Right um, now, that's what, you know, driving from from Williamsburg, which is the closest city to where Jamestown currently sits, driving from, say, Williamsburg down to New Bern, probably not even a two hour drive. Um, and, and that's the thing is it's like you have this series of ever expanding boundaries, ever expanding frontiers, all kind of bleeding into the next one. And Mm -hmm. while you have these series of bleeding over frontiers, you've got, you've got these different issues of the day that start popping up, but you always see these two kind of strains. You always see, you know, the degenerate gambler and you see the sort of prudish missionary, right? And a lot of people trace this back to the English civil war to the sort of, uh, Puritan roundhead and the uh, and the Anglicans even bordering on Catholic cavalier, um, which is ironic because uh, I guess which one of the two was the was the degenerate one, but um uh, but but it, it, I think it what it really speaks to is this kind of dual nature which exists, which or at least existed within the English soul that kind of found its expression in the United States as not just the final conclusion of the English consciousness, but really I I'm convinced of the Western consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's, that's kind of a good, a good ending for this sort of initial monologue as a, as a way to look at America. That was, very, that was really interesting. Um, how do you know all that? Like are the books you read or the history say, I'm like, what do you research to like gain all the information on like American history? Well, I feel a lot of it out, but um, I am a history major. I graduated from a uh, college with an undergraduate degree in history. Um, I did heavy coursework on the United States. I did coursework on other places too. So I have, I have some sort of uh, educational backing from academia. But yeah, most of it is just gained from picking up things over time. I've had a lifelong interest of history. Like, like I went to study history because I couldn't imagine myself studying anything else in college. Um, and it's, it's sad because colleges, what they really used to be was these centers of the Western tradition of, um, uh, of classical education. You went there not for career prospects. You went there to become a well-rounded man, right? Yeah. Um, but now colleges are just glorified vocational mm-hmm. trading centers to give the uh, next generation of white-collar apparatchiks, bureaucrats, um, even um, even basic workers like finance, like, like lawyers and all this other stuff, the, the, the sort of foot soldiers of modern society that kind of keep the whole thing running. 
Yeah, and, they turned they turned into uh, liberal seminaries. Well, yeah, that that as well. And I mean, to be honest, I find that offensive. But I find that less offensive than the fact that there is really no place for you to go to keep on the old monastic tradition, this old mm. tradition of monasteries, which colleges were supposed to be, where you basically you're. You, you have a massive society-wide expenditure of resources just so young men can kind of sit around in really well-maintained gardens and lovely buildings and read books. And that's, there's something amazing about that. There's something, there's something transcendent about that where it's like, it's not utilitarian. It's not, you know, it's not beneficial in any way. It's just these men sit around, read books and talk about, you know, what they think and what they feel. Um, and yeah, the, the, the liberal sort of infection of academia and of other places is, well, that's, that's, that's a part of that. That's part of the profanation, but I don't find it as, as offensive as the uh, um, general profanation of, well, now guess what? Oh, you went to college and oh, you only got a philosophy degree. What kind of job can you get with that? Or, oh, you only got this, that, or the other. And it's like it's not because I dislike how practical American society is. I actually very much like how practical American society is, but it's more of just the we've we've put the we've pointed the gun. We've got the right gun, but we've pointed it in the wrong direction. Mm. You know, it's like it's like here's a, here's another example, right? A lot of people in these spheres are racist. A lot of these people in these spheres don't like certain ethnicities. That's completely okay. You know, being racist is completely normal fucking human behavior. And if you're not racist, well, guess what? Something is wrong with you. Um, but a lot of people, they point the racism gun in the wrong direction towards the wrong ethnicities. <laughs> like, like you hate the ethnicities that don't really do anything and you don't hate the ethnicities. Anyway, that's just a small aside. Um, point is, point is, right, you know, I, I, and I'm doing a terrible job of answering your question, but you know, it's all good. I've I've had a I've had a lifelong interest of history and you know political science and whatever you could call the humanities, and I've 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 just generally from a young age wanted to understand how the world works. And you know, T. S. Eliot in one of his poems basically says that you can never understand the eternal without understanding the particular. And I suppose the particular I chose to understand was America. And by understanding America, I understand everything. That's awesome. It's good to know. Um, so let's get to the main topic of this. Um, actually, before we get to the main topic, I have one more question about kind of what you just laid out. Laid out. Like you mentioned, like the uh, the practical Americans, like oh, you got a philosophy degree. It's there's a there's a weird line there. It's like there's um I put this. I, like you, I'm a fan of the, like, the practical American man kind of idea. You know, like you trade, you get a practical job, you pay your bills. But there's a weird kind of anti-intellectualism that kind of resides in the American culture, I feel like, that is um, peculiar considering how many of the founding fathers were like Hamilton, you know, or, or kind of a, was smarter than the average person, you know? It's weird. I, don't, I don't understand the anti-intellectualism unless it was something that was propagandized into the American culture. Well, I, don't, it, I, I don't see where it resonates. It's not just that they were smarter than the average person. As a matter of fact, I think that's an understatement as to, mm -hmm. as to the quality of individual that was found within the founding fathers. Like, yeah. like, how many countries can you point to whose foundation had so much, you know, not just intellectual fucking um, uh, talent and worth, right, which the founding fathers had... America has no great philosophers because we just had so we have no one great philosopher, I guess, the way other countries do or any one great writer, because from the beginning, 
we had a whole bunch of people that are pretty much on par with each other. Like we have debates to this day as to whether John Adams was smarter or more correct than Thomas Jefferson or than Alexander Hamilton or than fucking John Jay or, or or George Mason or, or all these other people. Right. Um, Like, like we, we had a whole coterie of people who were lawyers, philosophers, and the best amongst their generation. And they Mm -hmm. basically just all got together in one place and just unilaterally just talk about elite theory. The the American revolution was one of the biggest fucking demonstrations of elite theory, right? Mm -hmm. All the colonial elites, all these people were colonels, were judges, were representatives in their, in their, um, uh, colonial legislatures and all these other spots. And they just kind of got together and unilaterally decided, yeah, fuck England, fuck their tyrannical practices. Mm -hmm. Um, fuck their, um, uh, their, their, um, how, how would I say, uh, fuck their inability to, to properly integrate their colonial dominions into their realm. You know, a lot of people are monarchists. A lot of people out here really like the idea, you know, they talk about Carl Schmidt, you know, the sovereign is he who decides the exception. Well, Unfortunately, the English people have killed more kings than any other people on earth um, because the English people demand more of their kings than any, anywhere else on earth. Um, and a lot of kings just cannot, cannot uh, stand up to that demand. And America kind of did the same thing to the point where America kind of realized, oh, we don't need a king anymore. We can just kind of govern ourselves uh, the way we've always kind of governed ourselves, which is like we have the smart men who do all of these things in charge. You know, Francis Parker Yaki kind of talks about this in Imperium. He talks about how early on in America, it, there was a sort of encyclopedianism that kind of defined the American consciousness. Like it's not so much any one thing. It's that if you want to be a good man in America, who's, who's skillful, who's talented, who's all this other stuff, you got to kind of know a little bit about everything. You know, and this goes all the way back to, like I said, my frontier point, you know, you push westward. Well, if you want to found a town, you want to found a settlement or even a homestead, carve it out a wilderness, right? Well, what do you got to know? You got to know a little bit of construction. Uh, Even before that, you need to know how to how to cut down trees the right way, how to fashion them, how to make them into proper building materials. You got to know some construction to build up your cabin, build up your house, right? You need to know a little bit about where to dig for wells and how to have fresh water available to you. Um, you need to know how to raise crops, how to hunt game, how to feed yourself and feed your family, right? You need to know a little bit about you know law and order because there's some government further, usually to the east of you, um, that you're kind of expanding as a part of whether you like it or not. You need to know a bit about trade and diplomacy because there's hostile engines who could come and raid your settlement at any time. And in that, you know, speaking of that, you need to know a little bit about warfare, a little bit about fighting, right? Because they come and they come and, you know, they don't want to talk. They want to scalp you and rape your wife. Um, You got to kill them, right? That's how it goes. You know, I I speak in no uncertain terms. I hold no romantic notions about engines, about about the red man. I mean, I respect him as an adversary, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was the red man comes and and rapes our wives or, or, you know, we kind of, we kind of take his land and pay him to go away. You know, that's kind of how it went. And that's, that's a bit, that's a bit, you know, bloody. It's a bit fucking uh, crude for people. A lot of people don't like that when they study history. Well, unfortunately you don't really know much from history. You don't learn much if you don't look at it in its most crude and crass form. And, you know, that's the thing about encyclopedianism. What's in an encyclopedia? Everything. 
everything is an encyclopedia or is in an encyclopedia, right? And before the internet, Lord knows if, if you wanted to know something, if you wanted to look something up, you know, people, people think that it's like in the times before the internet, people didn't know where to find things. No, you just go into an encyclopedia. Most houses had an encyclopedia. I myself have a uh, encyclopedia Americana. I think it's 30 volumes um, that I inherited from my late grandmother, God, bless, God rest her soul. Um, but, uh, but, you know, and, and I looked through that and that has goddamn everything in it. You know, it's like, oh, hey, I need, I need something for a school project. Go check it out in the encyclopedia. Right. And, you know, all that Google and other search engines really did was just expand upon that already existing, um, infrastructure. And, you know, what the consequence was is that while collectively we had more intelligence, more, um, uh, information available to us individually, we knew less because we had no necessity forcing us to know less. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in addition, America kind of got hijacked at a certain point, but I'm, I'm not going to get into that yet. Uh, America hasn't been American since 1930, or at least um, the American government hasn't been American since 1933. Um, not the way it used to be. Um, yeah. You have moments of rebellion and all this other stuff, but you know, they're very much as an anti-American world order right now that hates that occupied America before it occupied the rest of the world. And that's mm -hmm. why, that's why before I turn it over to you, cause I've been, you know, to quote my mentor, um, sucking all of the oxygen out of the room. Um, you know, a lot of people hate America and, and, and especially a lot of people on these side of things, they think it's the cool thing to hate America. Oh, America is, is the center of gay butt sex and freaking da 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 da, da and, and, and black people and all that. And I'm like, well, you know what? It hasn't been American since 1933. So really what you're doing is you're using a psyop misnomer that the people in charge want you to use because what it does is it just, it, re it deflects any sort of responsibility from them onto other people. And, you know, that's why I've been pushing so hard. Don't call it the gay. Don't call it the gay. Don't call it the global American empire. Cause you know, like, like Voltaire said, it's not global. It's not American and it's not an empire. <laughs> call it, call it, you know, I like Zog because it's more accurate. Although even, even then I don't think it's, I don't think it's that particular ethnicity of people entirely. I don't think it's not, that particular ethnicity of people, but people focus too much. Anyway, I've been, I've been, I've been talking too much. It's all, it's all good. Thank you for being vague. I haven't had videos struck down yet, so thank you for being uh, vague about the Zog. Um, I'm a very euphemistic uh, individual. Speaking of, well, back to what we were talking about earlier with the uh, Founding Fathers. Um, I'm a big fan of reading the Founding Fathers. I love reading Common Sense, the Federalist Papers, Anti-Federalist Papers. Do you have, personally, do you have like a favorite uh, founding document that's not the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution? Like a favorite founding book that was written around the time period? That's actually a really good question. Um, and it's not a question I get asked often. And, and you know, usually, usually I'm a, you, you mentioned the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist papers. I'm like, well, if you want to understand how America works, don't read the goddamn Constitution. Don't read the Declaration of Independence. Read the Federalist papers mm -hmm. and the Anti-Federalist papers, because that kind of defined what America was going to be um, before it even, it even existed. But if you had to ask me, you had to ask me what my favorite um, founding document was. And it's not one a lot of people have heard of, but it was written by a lesser known founding father by the name of George Mason, right? Now, George Mason, he, you know, 
he was one of the House of Burgesses, which is the longest, longest functioning or longest meeting, rather, uninterrupted legislature in the Western world, even longer than Parliament, because Parliament was interrupted for um, several years during the English Civil War. So the House of Burgesses has been contiguously meeting up until this day, um, up until this day, uh, without interruption, right? Not the Civil War interrupted it, not Reconstruction interrupted it. Um, and so George Mason, you know, lawyer, well-known, right? There's a university named after him now, mm -hmm. George Mason University. Um, but he wrote something called the Virginia Declaration of Rights, which, well, it was very, um, it was very much enlightenment of the time. It, it, it's a lot of it is, um, uh, a lot of it has to do with sort of the zeitgeist of the, of the enlightenment of all men are created equal. Let me, small aside on that, you know, I understand that not all men are equal. And as a matter of fact, like, that's kind of the big thing this day is like, oh, America was paused from the beginning because it said all men are created equal. You know who they were talking about when they said all men are created equal? You know who the founding fathers considered human? You know, <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's a bunch of criteria, the founding fathers, as to who they considered human. And they were getting all of this, all of these ideas from a French thinker uh, by the name of Montesquieu. Mm -hmm. Um Montesquieu is very well known. He came up with the idea of a separation of powers within government and people like to lampoon him because it's like, you know, Carl Schmidt folks, especially they're like, Oh, you know, power. It's they, they get into NRX and mold bug and stuff. And they're like, Oh, power's a one or a zero. You either have it or you don't. Okay. Well, guess what? You know, the English, and, and this, this might please some of your listeners, but the English system has kind of just been as close to anarchy as you can get without everything falling apart like that's that's the english way because guess what it just works you let people more or less with certain you know with certain guardrails uh handle their own affairs um within like i said within certain guardrails they usually do it well and whenever and you only ever see them go against the order when the order tries to switch it around like you know i'll i'll talk here all day you know a lot of people they, they like they think there's something special they think they're larping as cavaliers or something like that like you know long live king charles fuck cromwell all this other stuff and i i also dislike cromwell right but fuck charles the first fuck charles the first and he, he was a piece of shit he was a piece of shit because what he you know i'm not going to get into this whole thing but it's like basically basically the roundheads fell over themselves to try to put him back into power even after they had won even after they had fought a 10-year civil war, they still wanted to put him back on the throne, right? They just basically tried to tell him, look, you just have to do what every other king of England, what your father, King James, did, right? You need to do what all of them have done since the Magna Carta and even before, which is if you want money, if you want money from the nobles, you have to convene parliament. You have to ask us. You have to consult us because you can't just show up to our estates demanding money, right? And and we weren't even consented because of it. Like 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 you know, we we you know we're your servants. We're your vassals. We swore an oath of loyalty to you, but we didn't swear an oath of fucking you know of of putting ourselves and our nation into poverty just because you said you have the divine right of kings and you know god ordains that you need to come to my estate in like oxford and take 
all of my goddamn rope or all of my goddamn whatever to build a navy to do something stupid, right? And Charles I, all the way up until the end, no, no, <laughs> I, am, I have divine right of kings. You need to give me money. You need to give me as much money as possible because I have divine right of king. No, no, that's not that's not how it goes. Now, now you know, obviously, like all corrections, it goes too far, right? Even honestly, honestly, this this might this gets a lot of people angry, but I honestly sympathize with the French Revolution. Like it needed to fucking happen, you know. The the, the French you read you read about the French nobles. There's a there's a great primary source i'm forgetting the guy's name memoirs of memoirs of louis the 14th and louis the 15th i'm trying to remember his, uh, he was a, he was the duke of the duke of something he was a french noble um and and he 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 sat there and he observed and his his biographies of saint simon saint simon uh the duke of saint simon um and his uh, memoirs of louis the 14th and he chronicles with this um um very excellent writing style chronicles the sort of descent of the French court after the Huguenots had all been kicked out and the French wars of religion had been solved. Um, he watched the descent into kind of decadence and the nobles kind of become caricatures of themselves at Versailles. And, and, you know, people, every, if there's one thing everyone today in the United States agrees upon, fuck the elites. We hate the elites. I, you know, all of the elites are, are, are terrible you know, we have we haven't found a better group of people than them yet, but they're terrible. And if we had a better group of people to replace them with, we immediately would. Um, and uh, and and that's the thing with it is like that's the same thing that happened in the French Revolution, right? You know, say what you will, you know, about you know the Sun King and the glory of France and and the and the sacredness of the French monarchy and all that, whatever. Yeah, um, but. This shit was done earlier in the, like 70 years before when basically even more. No, it was like about a hundred years before actually, actually damn near a hundred years before the same thing happened in England. Right. Because, you know, Charles the second, who I have a ton of sympathy with and a ton, ton of love. I love how you, you brought me on to talk about America and I'm sitting here talking about fucking European history so and like and dynasties and all this other stuff. Yeah. But, um, but you know, my man, it's like it's like it's like basically Parliament and a whole bunch of nobles looked at what was going on with King James, who was trying to do exactly what his father, King Charles, um, the first, not the second, um, did. Like not even fifty years after the English Civil War, King Charles was like, "I'm going to bring the Catholic Church back to England," and I understand, I understand that you know, a lot of a lot of Catholics thought that was a worthy goal, right? Okay, right? And the English people didn't really care if, you know, the kings themselves were personally Catholic and did their own Catholic stuff. It was when they tried to force it on the uh, Protestant or the Anglican, which is kind of a Janus-faced uh, denomination, um, that's when they got mad. And so when James II, right, who was an accidental king, Charles II died... Um, without any heirs, and so it passed on to his uh, passed on to his nephew, who was the son of Charles the First, uh, James the Second. And James the Second had converted to Catholicism because he had been exiled during the English Civil War. He thought he was never going to be king again, and so he just you know decided genuinely because he was a genuine Catholic, I'm going to be Catholic, right? And even even then, 
even then, you know, the English people didn't really care. They're like, okay, you know, King James II, he's, he's Catholic, all right, we fought a war over this, but we don't want to fight another war over this. So as long as he just doesn't bring the Catholic Church back to England, we're just going to let him keep reigning, and we're not going to say anything about it. And what did he do? He brought the Catholic Church back to England. <laughs> And Parliament, and a, it, it, you have to keep in mind, the English Civil War was in living memory. Was in living fucking memory. Like, like it wasn't even 50 years after that James II tried to do the exact same thing. And, you know, and people remember what happened, you know, with Cromwell and, and goddamn, um, you know, the, the rule of the major generals and banning Christmas and all this other stuff. And... Parliament and a bunch of nobles just kind of got together and they're like, yeah, no, we're not doing this again. And so they just go on over to the Netherlands and they just go to Prince William of Orange and they're like, hey, um, we're just going to let you be king if you come here and say you're king and no one's going to think twice about it. And they did. And I mean, that's where the, that's where the Jacobite movement gets born and all this and all this other stuff. All, all of this actually is very integral to the founding of America because lots of them. Um, Lots of Jacobites were actually exiled to um, to uh, America, and you know, I, I believe it or not, you know, the Highland Scots at least that were exiled. Actually, pretty much all of them were Tories, were loyalists during the during the American Revolution. There's a particular part of there's only really one part of America where Highland Scots specifically settled, and that is in North Carolina. Um, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember the counties um, where they specifically settle, where you can find them in, but like they're in this like Southern part of North Carolina. Um, what is today? Uh, okay. Robinson, Scotland, Cumberland, Bladen, uh, Columbus County, Hoke, Richmond County, more all these places with Scottish names. That's where all, a lot of these Highland Scots settled was in a uh, Southern, Southern North Carolina. I think the sixth congressional district now is, is what inherits it. Um, and, um, uh, they were all Tories. They, they, they fought and they got fucking slaughtered by, um, uh, <laughs> they got slaughtered by Nathaniel Green, I think. Um, I forget at what battle, but, you know, they tried to cross a bridge and so they just shot canister shot at them and, you know, they, they all got blown to pieces. That was the last ever Highland charge was actually did not take place in, 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 uh, the British Isles, it took place actually in America was, and, and it was blown to pieces by, uh, by, by, uh, revolutionary cannons. But the point is, is it's like a century before the French revolution, right? A century before something similar had happened in England, right? The, um, uh, parliament just basically said, okay, we, we don't like this King new King come in and William of Orange did and solidified his own power. And then he died and you know then mary mary stewart everyone thought she was going to restore the stewarts but she didn't and so anne was queen for a little bit and then she died and then they just did some autistic family tree searching and in came the hanovers and the hanovers didn't really do jack shit like you know they 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 weren't bad kings they just it's like you know it was really that's the primacy of when parliament starts becoming the the big force in english politics is during the hanovers and you know and France, they were watching England. They were Montesquieu was writing. Montesquieu did not live to see the French Revolution. Um, I don't believe at least. 
uh, he was just writing his own stuff, you know, watching this happen. He's like, hey, France to do the same thing because, you know, we've we've got this enlightened absolutism stuff over here. And yeah, Louis XIV is really competent, sure. You know, Louis XIV can keep the lights on, but what about his son, right? And Louis XV, he was competent for a little while, but then he just kind of fell off. And Louis XV is really the primary reason why the French Revolution happened. Like, Louis XVI, he... If I had if I had one sentence to describe Louis the Sixteenth, it was too little, too late. And you know, I mean, you look at the degenerate French nobles, and you look at all this other stuff, and you're like, yeah, you know what? They deserved it. Maybe, maybe tearing down every single noble estate ever, and executing all priests, and and you know, completely trying to reinvent the wheel. Maybe, maybe that's a little bit too far. Maybe that's, but, but that's how these things work, right? You know, you need another, you need a counter elite to basically say we're the new elite now, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a weird, it's a weird Western version of like the Chinese concept of the mandate of heaven, right? You know, yeah, the ruling elite have lost the mandate of heaven, but you need someone else to come along and claim the mandate of heaven in order to, um, uh, in order to, um, in order to be in charge again and for things to shift. And usually Usually whenever, whenever an inch is given, a mile is taken. And that's what happened when all these like fucking petit bourgeois lawyers and shopkeepers and clerks, you know, you put them in charge and all of a sudden they think they're the shit. Oh, time to kill everyone. Time to just chop heads off till our guillotine's blade is dulled. Um, so, so that's the thing is it's like, is it's like, and I know I've been, I've been going for a long fucking spiel, but it's like America wasn't that. You know, America was actually probably the perfectly measured response to um, uh, to the very, very real grievances Mm -hmm. that the elites of the United States uh, or what the future United States, the elites had with England, which is the fact that England wouldn't ask them for money. Right. Mm -hmm. England just kind of said, no, we rule over you like uh, because you're not real English, English soil. And they're like, well, wait a minute. We're just as genetically English as you. You know, we, we, we gentlemen, we're gentry, you know, most of us can trace our lineage back to one, a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, people talk about, people talk, small side real quick, people talk about wanting an American aristocracy or an American, all this other stuff. I'm like, you know, that the first five or six president, like every, you know, people talk about the Virginia dynasty, right? You know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, um, William Henry Harrison, who was not from Virginia, but his father, Colonel, Colonel, uh, uh, Colonel, what was it? Colonel Henry, uh, yeah, was it William Harrison V? Um, Yeah, he was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Um, But they were all related to each other. Like, Mm -hmm. like, like, if I I have a picture on my phone of, I, I took it at Berkeley Plantation, but a picture on my phone of, all of the places, all of the places, uh, no, not, not all of the places, sorry, of all of the, uh, the, 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 the genealogies of the founding mm-hmm. fathers, specifically the Virginia founding fathers, and they're all related to each other, you know, um, I'm, I'm pulling it up right here just so I can read them off, but it's like, you know, James Madison, Zachary Taylor, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, William Henry Harrison, John Tyler, and James Monroe, who are all presidents of the United States, we're related to each other, not very distantly. And that's the thing is it's like, you know, people don't realize that America did have a blood aristocracy. You know, they weren't titled. I mean, you know, 
if if that's if that's your metric for an aristocracy that they need to have titles, well, even then they had titles. You know, Colonel of the Virginia Militia, yeah. uh, a delegate to the House of Burgesses, right? All this other stuff. So so it's like their response was perfectly measured. You know, their response was perfectly measured. Hey, England, we've tried everything. We've told you, give us representation in Parliament. G- give us, give us our own people. We elect to Parliament, right? Let us have a say. You know, Edmund Burke. You know, the, a lot of conservatives like Burke, but Burke was advocating for this. You know, Burke and his good friend uh, Ben Franklin were advocating for this. You know, and um, you know, oh, there was a significant faction in Parliament who was like, "Yeah, why don't we give the American colonies represent? They're literally just like Englishmen." They're, they marry into our families. They come here to get educated. Um, they, they all follow English law, English custom, all this other stuff. Why don't we just give them this representation? And they just didn't do it because I think they had a German monarch on the throne. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, and it's like there's a, there's a plaque that's, that's up around a lot of the grave sites of the, of the um, – uh, of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And a friend of mine once said that if you know more German philosophers than signers of the Declaration of Independence, then you're a part of the problem. (laughs) And this plaque reads, um, and I'm sure you've heard this before and your listeners have heard this before. I'm going to read this. I'm going to turn it back over to you. Um, By signing the Declaration of Independence, the 56 Americans pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. It was no idle pledge. Nine signers died of wounds during the Revolutionary War. Five were captured or imprisoned. Wives and children were killed, jailed, mistreated, or left penniless. Twelve signers' houses were burned to the ground. Seventeen lost everything they owned. No signer defected. Their honor, like their nation, remained intact. <clears throat> and one of them was Catholic. That's right. Lexi, there's a great book. Um, hold on. Not no oh. Okay. Great book. I'd like to recommend this to everyone who comes on. Um, Continental Achievement: Roman Catholics in the United States. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting book. It's 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 interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, and you know, and that's the thing. You know, I'm I myself am not personally Catholic, but it's like, yeah, you guys have um uh, you guys have been here since the beginning. You know, this is this is this is true, um, and. You know, I mean, one of you, if one of you did sign the Declaration of Independence, you know, I guess y'all have much of, as much of a right to be here as anyone else. It's not that you'll let us forget it, though. You'll never let us forget no. it. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, that, but that's the thing, though, is it's like, is it's like, there have been Catholics in America since the beginning, but even our Catholics kind of act Protestant. Yeah, there's like, <laughs> a, a great quote from a uh, Catholic theologian, Scott Hahn. Uh, American Catholics are normally more American than Catholic. Yeah, he says and, it despairingly. I think it's not so bad, actually. But well, yeah, and that's that's the that's the final conclusion is that you know even we've we've managed to make our Catholics Protestant without even making them convert. <laughs> <laughs> so, get, I had you on for. It's all been very interesting, but I had you on specifically to talk about patriotism because mm-hmm. a lot of people there was a whole. Maybe a few months ago now, there was a whole um, like drama on on Twitter, my groups online, about patriotism, and a lot of the libertarian anarchist people I thought I I'm, I'm friends with were saying things like, 
patriotism is evil. It's only used to justify the state's growth. It's a propaganda tool. And they were just going all about how terrible and dumb the American patriot is. Mm-hmm. And I realized none of them probably knew how to define patriotism. And so I want to kind of define patriotism and then talk about the uses of patriotism and how it is actually a good thing. Or is it a bad thing? Or is it really just, is patriotism is another way of saying populism? You know, what is, what's the distinction between these things? So to defi- the way I define patriotism is patriotism, patriotism is loving your country. And love is defined as willing the good for the other for the sake of the other. So anytime you will the good for your nation, you are doing a patriotic act. Yeah, this is... It's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to... It's difficult to kind of get started on that because there's so many different ways you could take that. But, you know, what is patriotism, right? You know, we're not going to... We're not going to freaking, you know, sit here and talk about the definition of words. Everyone knows what fucking patriotism is. It's, mm-hmm. it's loving your country because that country is a part of who you are as a person. I hate the word identity. I think it's faggy because <laughs> identity is one of those things that, you know, keeps us from, from winning and making money and, and getting a whole bunch of political powers. Like we sit here and argue all day, you know, what's our identity? What are we? It's like, okay, identity, identity is one of those things that you act out. It's not one of those things that you think of and all of a sudden, oh, now that you've thought it up and you've thought it into existence, now it exists. No, it's mm-hmm. your identity or whatever the fuck. I, I, I really like, you know, who you are or, 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 or personality or, or there's, there's got to be a better word than identity. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's more of like, it's like what you are, you know, and, and what you are, you know, you are born. You are not this abstract thing. You are not this abstract man, you know. I was born in the United States. Um, and I was born specifically in the state of Virginia in the United States. And I was born in a specific part of Virginia in the state of the United, in, 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 in the state, in uh, the country of the United States um, with a particular ethnic heritage that got to that part of Virginia through one way or another um, with a particular religious confessional heritage. None of that I chose. None of that I chose being born. I was born into a family um, my mother is Shenandoah Valley German, uh, which is the oldest group of Germans that's lived in the United States, I think, other than the New Bern Germans, um, who are a bit older in North Carolina. Um, my father is, is old English Virginia, as pretty much old English Virginia can get, right? And both of them come from a, you know, and even my mother, my mother isn't all Valley German, you know, and, and that's that's the other thing is it's like, is it's like, you know, you, you exist and you're never one thing or another. And this, this is why I like the Anglo mindset so much, because the Anglos are pretty much the only mindset that can understand the, 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 the particularities of a lot of things. You know, there is no cookie cutter thing in the real world. The cookie cutter thing is aspirational at best. It's like, I was born in America and America has a certain tradition. America is a concept that does exist. And America is a people. It's not a fucking propositional nation. It is a people. That people is usually white, often Anglo-Saxon, um, and sometimes Protestant. But they're, you know, very few of them are wasps in the sense that we imagine them. Because wasps is actually a specific group of people that came from around the Mid-Atlantic that ruled from about the... Uh, from about the end of the Gilded Age um, to about uh, to about JFK's inauguration, but anyway, that's that's a whole other can of worms. 
But, you know, what is patriotism? Patriotism in, in many ways is a semblance of self-love. It is loving, loving what you are by loving who you are, loving who you are by loving what you are, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. Is it's like, mm -hmm. is it's like, you know, like 80%, 80-90% of what you are, what your achievements in life, what your potentialities and all this other stuff is more or less determined from birth. Like your birth, the family you're born into, the age you're born into specifically, like, you know, I would love, I would love to just go down to, you know, Norfolk Harbor, find some freaking boat and like be a pirate or be a privateer or do something like that. I would love to do that. The current age doesn't really allow me to do that in that particular form. Now, I can very much pirate, pirate some things. Um, and so can you, dear listener. But, um, but, you know, the age forces me to do something different, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, everyone, everyone who was living during the age of pirates thought that being a pirate was a shit job just as much as someone working IT thought they were doing it because it's how you make money, right? And, and that's the thing is it's like, what is patriotism? Well, patriotism isn't like a tool. This, this is another thing I hate. A lot of, you know, a lot of anarchists, a lot of libertarians make this argument, and unfortunately they're falling into Marxist traps uh, by it happens making more often arguments. than you, you hope it would. A lot of libertarians end up being a lot of very, very similar to Marxists. Oh, of course, you know, you know, Marxism is one of those things that you don't, no one, it's, 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 what's the right way of saying this? What's, what's a good metaphor? Um, Marxism is like, being a Marxist is like being unemployed. Right. No one wants to no one wants to say that they are. But at some point, you know that you are um, if you're honest with yourself. Um, and maybe that's a poor metaphor, but that's what I that's what I came up with. And the thing is with it is it's like is it's like, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry, I completely lost my train of thought. In so the, I got lost in the metaphor. We were talking about libertarianism. We were talking about. Um, I mentioned something specifically about them getting lost in Marxist arguments. What, what, what kind of? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, pa tool. Patriot is a tool. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, okay, I, I got it back again. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up, and it's like, there. This is a thing that a lot of people do. Like they kind of point. It's like, oh, this is just a tool used to deceive you. This is this is just something to pull the wool over your eyes. And and I'm telling you the truth here. I'm I'm breaking. And I always, I've always kind of disliked arguments like that because it's like, well, I'm not stupid, right? I'm not stupid. I can kind of suss out when someone's lying to me. And, you know, it, it took, it's a strange journey that took me to here. But at this point, I kind of realized, well, most everything I was taught in American history class in high school isn't really wrong, right? It's not like factually incorrect. I was just not told the whole story. I was told mm -hmm. a part of the story, right? But like a lot of people, they have this overcorrection where they think they find out one thing they've been taught is a lie. They think all of a sudden everything they've been taught is a lie. Well, really, that's just not not the case. As a matter of fact, most everything you've been taught is more or less the truth in one way or another. It's just it may be an incomplete version of it. And, you know, yeah, has patriotism been misused? Of course, it's one of the several things you misuse. You know, you want people to do something that you don't want them to do. A good way to get them to do it is to lie to them. Right. And, you know, already it's more or less accepted common knowledge that Bush did Bush did 9-11. It's just completely yeah. unequivocal. Cheney did 9-11 is probably more accurate. But, um, you know, 
everyone who is given the given 9/11 a serious 30-second investigation um, just immediately knows, you know, just even first and foremost, yeah, a plane couldn't fucking take down those buildings, um, you know, and I or 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 wait a minute, you know, why did, how, how did a plane hit the Pentagon in the first place? That's the one no one ever talks about. They always talk about the two towers. They never talk about the Pentagon. Yeah. Like, wait a, wait a, wait a fucking minute. How did a plane hit the Pentagon? Literally the headquarters of the United States and, you know, all this other stuff. But it's like, you know, they wanted a war because they wanted money. Right. And to be completely honest, to be completely fucking honest, if, you know, if they had just gone, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it may be different in hindsight, but they were kind of telling us the reason why they were doing it. It's like, hey, we want an imperial expansion. You know, we want to go and we want to, you know, adventure around in foreign parts of the world like our granddaddy, the English Empire, did. Um, but, you know, it's like, no, they had to, they had to do it on this pretense, this notion of like, oh, you know, we got to, we got to, it's got to be for freedom and democracy and all this other stuff. And it's like, well, you know, you more Americans would be behind you if you just said, "Yeah, fuck these guys in particular. Let's just let's just go take them over and exploit them." More Americans than you think would be like, "Oh yeah, let's do that." Like that sounds cool. Like yeah. like you know, we're not doing anything better. Um, but no, and 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 but that's the thing, right? Is it's like that's I think one of the various proofs that you can kind of look at that we live in an occupied country. We you know the people in charge are not the people they are in charge of, you know, they are their own elite. You know, there used to be a time in which the elite and the American people, even though they weren't necessarily the same, the elite could trace their origins to the American. Now they separated so much that it's like, well, you know, they talk about middle America disparagingly because middle America is completely foreign to them. Now it's kind of this weird transatlantic Anglo American elite because a bunch of Anglos moved over here during the industrial revolution, taking their wealth with them. Um, and that, and that's the thing, my man, is it's like, is it's like, well, it's like, it's, it's strange to kind of look at this whole thing. Cause, cause they're not rooted in any particular country and, you know, and they can use tools like patriotism tools, like, you know, economic bribery and all this other stuff, but that doesn't like disprove the whole concept of patriotism altogether. And this is where I talk about taking things you know, I've been talking a whole bunch about the dissident right recently and how the dissident right is kind of dead. And so it has much no so real... that Pedro Gonzalez, who I am a yeah. fan of, Pedroized you a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad he was. Uh, I'm glad he he took my points in my article very seriously. You know, I'm 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 glad people in this world can still read. And honestly, <laughs> you know what? You know what? He he has a platform I don't have, and I don't I don't take it fucking personally that he didn't give me credit. It is I'm not here. If you know. If I wanted, if I wanted ten thousand fucking followers, I would join the Claremont Institute. Mm-hmm. You know, another line he took. Wow, I wonder where he got that from. Wonder, one, you know, and I don't even claim credit for the Claremont thing. That's that's all Christopher Sandbach. He's the one who brought that back into consciousness. But it's like, mm-hmm. he's actually a lot of the reason I know as much as I know about America now. Um, but you know, and that that's the thing with it. It's like you know, the dissident right many such cases amongst young men, but they get into this whole thing where they take it too far. They take it too far and they think that they should take it too far. And they think that if they don't take it too far, they're not being honest. And that's just, that's just another way of fucking up right now. Yeah. Right now it doesn't mean anything because it's just ortho bros and fucking trad and whomever the hell else fighting on Twitter. 
But what happens when y'all start figuring your lives out and start becoming serious people, making money, you know, even individually in your 30s, you're not going to lose your beliefs all of a sudden. Just, you know, you may make compromises, but you're not going to lose them. And the Overton window shifts rightward because of this massive influx of young men getting older with establishing themselves with wealth. Well, what's going to happen if you have those same fights? Bunch of fucking chaos is going to happen. Um, and so that's the thing is it's like is it's like ideology at the end of the day is a cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. It's a dead end route. Like at some point, you got to kind of just take the good from from one idea one set of thinking like and then just leave the rest of it behind because it it either doesn't fit the situation or it doesn't fit any situation and that's the thing is it's like patriotism on its own platonically is a good thing you know it is it's important to love the people you come from because otherwise like i said earlier about um uh, about not being racist you know you're not normal if you don't love the people you're from you know and there's many different ways to love the people you're from, you know. I personally think, you know, I'm, I, you know, a lot of people talk about the Southern shtick. Um, you know, I personally think some of the best Southern patriots were ones who either a didn't fight in the Civil War altogether and avoided it and preserved their wealth, and then came back at the end to rebuild the South, um, or the Scalawags. I actually have a lot of freaking sympathy for the scalawags because they kind of realize and now i don't have sympathy for the ones who are like yeah radical republicans should just come in and destroy our fucking areas but it's like it's like you know james longstreet is is the archetypal example of this james longstreet you know made himself the target of ire for his entire country and it's like well you know we lost we lost and we got our whole country burned to the ground. Now the only way forward is to kind of play along until we build our strength. And guess what? The South is rising again as we speak. Like the South, the South is the one part of the United States that is not currently in terminal decline. As a matter of fact, the South is the fastest growing economic region on the planet, right? More businesses, uh, open locations, start up, um, open facilities of some sort, uh, in the South, within the borders of the former Confederate states and Kentucky and Missouri and West Virginia um, and Oklahoma and a lot of the, the Great Plains, which are really just the extension of the South um, in many ways, than any other location on Earth, than any other specific region on Earth. And that's because, you know, the South got burned to the fucking ground, as were their property values, and they just simply aren't as developed and they played the long game. You know, they understood that, you know, this, they understood that, you know, the way that America currently set up, yeah, the, the North, you know, that's kind of a misnomer. The North is a, this North isn't even really a concept. You know, the North is just a, co- a collection of cities in their hinterlands. Yes. There is no overarching North, right? You talk to someone and they're from Chicago or they're from Cleveland or they're from Pittsburgh or they're from New York City or they're from philadelphia or or similar or they're from boston you know but they're not from they don't see themselves as from massachusetts even saying it out loud sounds kind of weird or from new york or from like or from ohio or something if they say they're from ohio they're not from a city if they say they're from ohio <laughs> they're from the rural part yeah um or and, and that's the thing is it's like is it's like that's the that's the yankee consciousness like they are they are a collection of cities 
The South, on the other hand, you know, someone says there, someone will say, oh, I'm from, I, like for me, for example, I say I'm from Virginia. Um, you know, I come from a part of Virginia that's entire, I come from Northern Virginia, basically. I, that's entirely different from, let's say, the Tidewater, from, let's say, the Shenandoah Valley, where, you know, I also kind of come from. Um, or someone says, I'm from North Carolina, or I'm from, you know, Georgia or somewhere like that. It, 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 that's different. It's, it's a different conception, right? And the South, the South in many ways is kind of inseparable from America because the South is America. No other region is America as much as the South is. And, you know, a, a good friend of mine once told me this. He's like, um, uh, the Civil War was when the North declared war on America. And... <laughs> And that's the thing with it is it's like, is it's like, you know, now the entire country is basically has acts like the South. A really good book if the, anyone in the audience is interested. Um, the Americanization of Dixie, the Southernization of America. It, it was a book written in the 70s. And what it does is it outlines how all of America kind of just adopted Southern customs, Southern mannerisms. Um, but the South also adopted customs and mannerisms from the greater country. Right. And really, we're seeing, you know, globalism, the economic system is coming to an end before our very eyes. Um, and that's just because America set it to an end. And we're aggressively onshoring as many manufacturing businesses, as many shipping businesses as we can. And they're all going to the south. They're all going to the south. And I guess I guess to kind of bring this back to your initial point is it's like, you know, well, you know, if, if, if you're a lot of people, they want America to fall or they want some great cataclysmic event to happen. And I think those mm -hmm. people are absolutely fucking insane. Like, yes. like, like, you know, you have no idea what you want to bring about. And plus, if that does happen, if a massive cataclysmic event does happen, you failed. You failed. Right. Everything other than an act of God. Right. If a volcano erupts tomorrow. Right. And covers blocks out the sun for 10 years. That's nothing you could have prevented, right? But, like, if you have a collapse of society, failure, not just of the people in charge, but of the society itself mm -hmm. to keep itself running, and that is God punishing that society for its own fucking iniquities and its sins and its apathy and all this other stuff, and so all of that great suffering is meant to teach a fucking lesson, right? And and, and that's the thing with it, is it's like, well, there guess what the way forward the path forward isn't being a fucking centrist isn't being someone who like forcibly keeps themselves from taking a position but it is being a moderate it is being just like okay well the dissident right makes some great points you know not all races are equal as a matter of fact usually blacks are precluded precluded to crime and uh, a certain group of people really really does like to have these you know narcissistic uh, uh nepotistic hiring practices and really likes portraying all this terrible media um, and you have other groups and it's like, Oh, well, these people are kind of lazy and extremely violent if you push them towards it or, and Oh, look at this group of people, this group of people, it just generally uh, has, uh, was it has higher IQs on average uh, is, is, you know, breaks the law less often is less precluded to violence. Maybe, maybe we should consider all of those facts those facts, those immutable things of reality, right? People think it's like this grand revelation to be a racist. No, you're just being normal. Guess what? You're learning how to be a normal human being. Um, <laughs> hey, maybe maybe women are kind of actually just 
just grown up children who are extremely emotional and unstable and shouldn't really be given any du jour authority. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe that's something. Okay. Yeah, sure. Right. But you know, that 19th amendment ain't getting repealed anytime soon, son. So looks like you got to deal with women, um, in with power sucks to suck, learn how to do it, mm-hmm. you know? And that, and that's the thing is it's like, you know, there's a gentleman by the name of Josh Ham. You may be familiar with him. Um, who hangs around these fears. I interviewed him on my podcast, which is now free, by the way. Um, nice. And he says he says a lot of this stuff, too, is it's like, well, guess what? You know, you just need to learn how to master your own circumstances. You need to learn how to live Americana in an age where Americana is almost criminalized socially. Mm-hmm. And that's the way forward, right? And a part of that is patriotism. A part of that is acknowledging, you know, even the word patriotism comes from America, Right comes from what America's supporters were called patriots, right? And I'm sure that has an etymological origin I'm not familiar with, but it's like, but that's the thing is it's like, you know, we, you know, you say the word patriot, everyone thinks of tricorn hat, continental army uniform with musket, right? Or George Washington, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an inherently mimetically coded American thing. And, you know, that's not bad, that, as a matter of fact, I think that's how that's how God has ordained people to think of America is in those terms, because that was America at its best. Really, America, you know, people think, oh, America's time is over. America's empire is falling. Well, no, America's story isn't even, you know, we're not even at halftime yet. When Caesar comes, you know, when <laughs> Caesar comes, that's going to be halftime. Right. But um, uh, but, you know, we're, we're not even we're not even at the 50 percent mark yet. And America, America very much does have a future. And no, the lights aren't going off anytime soon. They may flicker a little bit, but they're not going off anytime soon. Um, and and everything is going to keep on working the way it's working. And if I'm wrong, well, guess what? Doesn't matter because we're all going to be shooting each other in the street, <laughs> scramping, uh, scrounging for food. So, yeah. Well, that was a. I think it was a perfect way to cap it off. I have two more questions before I wrap this up. Of course. Um, I'll try to answer them briefly. It's all good. Uh, one, we've talked a lot about America, a lot about the Founding Fathers. What is, have you seen, if you have, what is your view of the Hamilton musical? Um, so... A little bit of a fun one. I'm curious. You've, um, uh, you've completely unintentionally struck a nerve. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I have the words, you know, of the 13 million words that exist within the English language, I don't think I could possibly string together a sequence of them to accurately depict my absolute ire and disgust and hatred for basically, basically negrifying my history. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to get this nuked. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's uh, fine. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, Really, and more than anything else, it proves the the fact that America is not occupied by Americans. Mm. What I suggest instead is to watch the HBO miniseries John Adams. That's a that's that's probably the most faithful and best portrayal of the founding fathers, not as they were personally, but mythologically what they were mm. in American media. And that's honestly, that's more important because yeah. guess what? America is actually a pagan country and all of our gods are the founding fathers. The American mythology is fascinating. And I love every time someone says in those words, American mythology, I'm like, okay, this guy's someone in the know on the American culture, I guess you could say, because like, it, it is definitely a mythology. And we have some of the 
kick-ass lore. Hercules? No, no, George Washington. Okay, um, the American founding it's, fathers are incredible. It's it's funny you say that because actually a lot of the mythologizing were apocryphal stories that came from ancient Greek and Roman legend that were kind of translate an ancient Aryan legend too that were translated over into um, um into into like like the American context and there's a really good book that portrays this um, uh, I'm trying to remember his name uh, he 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 wrote the, the series called A Treasury of American Folklore um, Botkin B A Botkin um, and he wrote he he writes all of the, he went around collecting all of these these stories these apocryphal stories these sayings these songs all this other stuff from the various regions of the United States. He did one for, I think, every region of the United States. He did one for the South, one for the North, specifically New England, one for American cities, one for the Mississippi River, one for the West in California. I think he did one for Texas, too, one for slaves, specifically, and, and Negro mythology and folklore, um, one for the Civil War, specifically. Um, and these are huge books, and, and, and it's an amazing an amazing compilation. I think there's no better way to understand America. You know, you don't even need to read the history books, like go read some of these books, the mythology, the folklore, the apocryphal stories. And that'll tell you more, I think about America than any real history book can. Although history, but not, not to bash history books. It's just, you know, they, they have their purpose and they're good at what they do, but what they do is limited and specialized. And a lot of people, what a lot of people lack is, is just, is a general understanding. And it's like, I understand it's like, you know, to love the universal, you need to love the particular, but to like, to understand the particular, you must understand the generalities. It's, it's funny how this is an ever looping series of paradoxes, but no, uh, fuck Hamilton. I hate Hamilton. I hate the musical. I think it's, it's, it's a display of, um, it's a display of a culture that just does not exist and is being artificially forced. Mm-hmm. Okay, last question. I ask, I, I ask all the new guests to recommend two books. Um, so for you, I'm going to give a little bit of a guideline, though. One, like a political book. Mm-hmm. Second, a book that's like a, a fictional book written by like Americana. You know, like, like, a Tom, like Tom Sawyer, Huckabay Finn, like an American cultural book kind of stuff. Oh, thing. that's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, I may break your rules and recommend more than one for that second right one. Ahead. But for the first one, for the first one, a political work, Specifically in American political work, um, I would recommend nothing other than uh, John C. Calhoun's A Disquisition on Government, right? That is a short 100-page kind of missive, and it is the only great political work that has ever been written by an American. Um, I count Yaki's Imperium as another one, but that's more of, a, that's more of an everything book. Um, and I'm not going to go down the Yaki rabbit hole, but Yaki himself, I think, is a champion, is an icon of the American spirit and what America is. Um, yeah. But um, but no, um, for your second one, a book, a book that I'm a, a fiction book, I guess that that captures Americana. Um, I'll tell you what, I will recommend two. I I, I I'm going to recommend three books, but I'll recommend two. The great American novel was Moby Dick. Moby Dick was the great American novel. Um, people, people who think that Moby Dick uh, is irrelevant for today, um, someone tweeted about this, but I'm going to paraphrase their tweet. It's like the first, the first page or so 
of Moby Dick, the main character is talking about, you know, I was about to basically just snap one day and slaughter a whole crowd of people. But then I realized that I'm kind of being too much of a weirdo. So I went and got a job. That's, that's kind of how most, most people think modernity is this new thing. No modernity. Honestly, I think modernity and all the feelings that came with it has really existed since at least the 30 years war. Like, modernity and our feelings about it have, have been around for the last 400, 300, 400 years. And to be completely honest, I don't even think modernity itself is a bad thing. Because it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like saying getting old is a bad thing, right? Well, it's not really, it's just kind of what happens, you know? Um, but Moby Dick is, is the great American novel, the best American novel that I think more than any other work of fiction encapsulates the American spirit um, and to a greater extent the Western Faustian spirit um, which America is the final conclusion of um, the second book I would have to recommend and I always you know I'm, I'm, I'm careful to recommend works from this author because people will go and they'll read him and they'll get confused because they don't know how to read him right but um William Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury. Uh, the Sound and the Fury is the greatest novel of the 20th century. And more than I think any other novel, it encapsulates modern America and what modern America is. Um, and unfortunately, you know, especially with Faulkner, Faulkner is actually infamous for this, but it's like Faulkner is, 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 if you're not, you don't have to be particularly intelligent to understand Faulkner. A lot of people think, oh, only a genius could understand this. Like, they'll read him, they'll understand the words, but they won't, they won't understand what he's trying to say, or they'll get lost, or they'll feel like they missed something, or something to that effect. But, no, really, really, no. When, when, what, what Faulkner, how Faulkner writes is, you just have to pay attention. You know, a lot of people when they read, yeah, they're kind of reading the text, but they're also kind of thinking about something else or thinking about what they're going to do with the knowledge they get from this text or da 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 you know, and they haven't focused their entire being into that text. And they can still kind of glean some stuff from focusing, from not focusing their entire mm -hmm. being. But Faulkner, the bare minimum is you have to focus your entire being into the text. And that's why a lot of people, they'll pick up Faulkner and they'll just be like, oh, I don't get it. You know, you're supposed to be this great thing, and they put him down. And some people, you know, there's another thing. is like Faulkner is one of those authors you have to read more than once. Hmm. Matter of fact, it's almost required for you to read more than once. Because, you know, there, there's this famous story. You know, someone once walked up to him, and he said, you know, I, I've read, like, he was doing this, like, book signing or something like that. And he, he walks up, and he's like, I've read The Sound of the Fury. I've read it nine times, and I still don't understand it. And Faulkner came back and he said, read it tan. <laughs> and, like um, and, and that's the thing is it's like, is it's like, you know, you, I, I guess the right way to say Moby Dick isn't hard to read. It's not at all hard to read. You know, Moby Dick is almost kind of the surface level. And, I, and not to say, and, and this is another thing, like just cause something is surface level doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. Moby Dick is the exoteric version of what America is. Faulkner is the esoteric of what America is. You know, with Faulkner, going through Faulkner is in many ways kind of like going through an initiation. A Masonic 
initiation, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very much unpopular because I love the Freemasons. Um, I also think they're, they're a legacy organization now, but, you know. But anyway, that's, that's my recommendation. Awesome. Well, this has been a, a fantastic episode. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, what are your plugs? Where can people find you at? Uh, so you can you can find me at paulfahrenheit.substack.com. All of my content is free. I ended all of my paid content. Um, I'm going to make you buy my books whenever I write them, but otherwise, like, nothing I put out on this website or on any website is, uh, is worth y'all paying money for. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at CavKingPaul, uh, and you can find me on Telegram. Uh, my Telegram channel is Hotel. Fahrenheit, spelled like it is on this little video, H-E-I-D-T. Wonderful. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, go follow Paul. Uh, go to the Austria Tomas and Patreon if you wish to support the show. Uh, like, comment, share, subscribe, the whole YouTube spiel. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Have a good night. Mm-hmm.